0: Your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solom. All right, welcome to Wednesday. Lacrosse Crosse Talk PM, I'm Rick Solom, 608-785-7914, the talk and text line if you want to get in here. I'm having two very different shows as news just broke five minutes ago, six minutes ago now, that the Supreme Court has overruled the Governor Evers' administration's authority with the stay at home extension what that means for the state i have no idea because that's all the news that i have on that at this point we probably could have guessed at the you know what what that means and we we probably all knew that this was going to happen as we we first started hearing some comments coming from justices during the hearings And just being like, "Yep, that's uh, that's where this is going." We all kind of no big surprise there. I I don't think I told uh, one of my friends in Madison as we're talking about stuff, and his response was shocker. So (laughs) um, yeah, so that's the latest news on the show today. Two people coming on: Randy Nelson, the lacrosse school superintendent. It's going to be on in about eight minutes, and we're going to talk about obviously how we, how you are a school superintendent during a pandemic, right? There's no school and how different that was. And and last time I talked to Randy, and it wasn't on the show, I think we were just kind of emailing back and forth, or maybe we were talking, but it was just a personal phone call, so to speak, not on the air or anything. But he said uh, he had a funny comment about, I came in with Act 10 and I'm going out with COVID-19. So uh, if we can get him to say that for a soundbite, uh, in the news, during the news tomorrow, that would be great. We'll just, we'll kind of bait him into that again. Right. Um, but I thought it was a great comment. Uh, comes, comes in with Act 10 and, and leaves on COVID-19. And so we'll talk to him about the whole pandemic, how, how, how you oversee, school a school system when all your teachers are at home and all your students are at home right well maybe your teachers aren't quite at home They're probably coming into school once in a while but it's a very different right like a completely different and i'm sure a lot of people that don't have kids like me aren't even really fully understanding what what is happening and how teachers are going about this we did talk to Luke Ackerson a couple of weeks ago, kind of early in the pandemic, about how they were doing things. But I'm sure, you know, as the weeks have gone on, teachers have to adjust and and figure out, you know, better ways, maybe more unique ways, to to teach students remotely and or maybe to teach parents how to teach their children how to uh, homeschool, right? Uh, so that's that's the first show we're doing at 5:15. After that, we're going to bring on Reed. I think it's Galen, but he is going to correct me. He's an independent political strategist. He's worked for George W. Bush, Senator John McCain, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and we're going to bring him on. He you know, he left the Republican Party in 2016. If you guys remember what happened on back in 16 I, I I'm not a I'm not big into politics. I just I can't remember what exactly happened in 2016 that would force somebody to or have somebody re- uh, leave the Republican Party, but something happened. We'll ask him what exactly that was. Uh, but Reed works for the Lincoln Project, and they are Republicans who do not support the president. And we can get into all kinds of stuff there. Uh, a lot of people that work for the Lincoln Project are, are pretty big names, and Reed among them. So that should be an interesting conversation that we will have at the bottom half of the hour So And Reed Gallen, like I said, he left the Republican Party in 2016, spent the last three years uh, dedicated to the political reform movement to create a better system for all voters. And uh, the Lincoln Project, a little write-up here, uh, it's a group of anti-Trump Republicans. They're focused on getting rid of Trump, Trumpism in general. Uh, They've got a, a a video ad that's playing throughout the La Crosse area and other areas now that's just come out. And we can, we can even talk to, to read about that. Uh, this is, it's a, it's a video, so you're not going to be able to see it, but you could hear it. This is what it sounds like.
1: There's mourning in America. Today, more than 60,000 Americans have died from a deadly virus. Donald Trump ignored with the economy in shambles. More than 26 million Americans are out of work. The worst economy in decades. Trump bailed out Wall Street, but not Main Street. This afternoon, millions of Americans will apply for unemployment. And with their savings run out, many are giving up hope. Millions worry that a loved one won't survive COVID-19. There's mourning in America. And under the leadership of Donald Trump, our country is weaker and sicker and poorer. And now, Americans are asking, If we have another four years like this, will there even be an America? Paid for by the Lincoln Project, which is responsible for the content of this advertising.
0: So if you guys watch cable TV, I don't. But if you guys are, you know, watching cable television or TV ads, if you're watching TV the traditional way, you might see that ad pop up. And uh, again, Reed Galen, Galen going to come on with us at the bottom half of the hour. First up, though, Randy Nelson. So I'm going to hit Brad in the newsroom, take a couple of take a couple minute break, uh, get Randy on the phone, and we'll go back to uh, talking about the lacrosse school system and school in general and how how we work that out during a pandemic. We'll be back after this. Huh? All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. If you got questions for Randy Nelson, the superintendent of lacrosse schools, text me, 608. 608- 785 is we're going to have a conversation here. Randy, are you happy to be retiring after the school year, which is, you know what, in a, less than a month now?
2: You know what, Rick, I'll tell you. It's a 37-year career here going. And I was just, uh, just thinking to myself, uh, again, I've said it a couple of other times, but you know, when I started as superintendent, it was right at the cusp of Act Ten, which uh, resulted in significant changes to our public schools. and And now my career is uh, is ending, uh, trying to address a pandemic for crying out loud. So it is. It has been uh, an interesting, enjoyable, challenging ride for these last nine years as superintendent. Uh, for the most part, I've enjoyed every minute of it.
0: Years two through seven, though, total breeze, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nothing happening there. Just all quiet. Yes, exactly.
0: Well. <laughs> Okay, so you were you were like the assistant superintendent heading into Act Ten, right? Like, so for two years, you kind of kind of could feel things out, right?
2: Yeah, I was uh, actually three years as associate superintendent and uh, was mentored by a friend and uh, superintendent at the time, Jerry Kemper. Uh, and so uh, just kind of went in on his heels and uh, continued to try to uh, continue some of the some of the great work that was happening there and. Uh, hopefully, move the move the district forward in a, in a lot of different areas.
0: Is there any way to compare Act Ten as a school superintendent dealing with Act Ten versus dealing with COVID nineteen? Uh, are they? Uh, I mean, they're two totally different things. But I don't know. Is there is there any way to draw comparisons there?
2: Well, yeah, I I agree. I concur with what you said, Rick. They're really two different things. But what's is similar about them? Is that they are going to? Uh, they're, they're really going to change the landscape of our schools, and I think that even as I'm retiring right now, I think that uh, it's probably going to be pr- pretty significant uh, financial hit to our public schools. And I think personally, everything uh, in the public sector at this particular point. And, and right now, we don't know the extent to which that's going to be. I've uh, what I've been hearing is that. Uh, I think uh, Governor Evers here, maybe a month ago, estimated that there is about a, anticipating a two billion dollar shortfall, uh, and now that's been raised up to about three billion dollars, and that's just based on uh, tax collecting and things uh, slowing down in the economy. Uh, part of that is also the result of the fact that people, I think, in the state have been given extensions to uh, to pay their taxes. Uh, and so uh, the, the trickle that's going to come into the public sectors that rely on taxpayer dollars to perform services is going to come at schools and at counties, at cities, uh, probably in a different way than they ever have. And so uh, institutions that are prepared to take that on and be able to cover and get through that, uh, that that's going to be interesting to see. And so what, what I'm kind of glad about, selfishly, uh, is that uh, in this particular case, I, I don't think we're fully going to see uh, real firm numbers and strong numbers of what it's going to mean to education and uh, the school district of La Crosse financially for another several months. It might be until our legislature convenes next January, February, and they begin working on a joint finance bill, when knowing that they've got a two to three billion dollar uh, uh, revenue gap to uh, cover, and the question will be whether they attempt to cover that uh, in one fell swoop, or perhaps uh, over the course of two biennium. They also have, I think, six hundred fifty million dollars in uh, in reserve that could be uh, that could be used to help defray those expenses. So the legislators will have a they'll have a, a pretty a pretty uphill battle going on as this uh, goes forward.
0: We're talking with Lacrosse School Superintendent Randy Nelson. Randy, would you call you? Are you a lame duck superintendent? Is that how that is? Because you're retiring at the end of the year.
2: <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I, I guess so. I, I'm, I'm a lame duck superintendent, and uh, I, but what's really been interesting is that uh, while I announced my retirement last October, uh, this, uh, this whole uh, moving into responding to the pandemic. Uh, it certainly has uh, pushed the adrenaline uh, one more time in the leadership perspective and just trying to respond. And I think that there are a couple of, you know, on the one hand, we're trying to respond. And I, I'm really proud of uh, what we've been able to do. Uh, you know, we we on uh, on, a, on a Monday, we were we were in school face to face. And by the following Monday, we were not school face to face. And it required all of us to figure out how, how we can do a, a remote learning opportunity. And we knew full well that we can't replicate face-to-face when you're doing revolt. And, I, and I'm told that the parents, uh, your listeners who have children, et cetera, it, it is uh, – we, we have some teachers who are really, really comfortable with this, and we have others that are not so comfortable with this. We have – coursework for instance where uh it's it's so hands-on it's not really conducive to a uh you know even to an, a virtual environment i have a granddaughter in third grade in our school district and you know grandma of most of the most every day is working with her and working on assignments that the teacher is providing and she's talking to her teacher and connecting and uh you know doing pieces of lessons and so this is really different and it really was intended to be a stopgap measure and so, what we've been trying to do for now is to patch us through the end of the school year, uh, and now we're starting to talk about well, what does it mean for the summer, and what does it mean uh, perhaps for next fall.
0: Um, ah! With, with uh, before earlier in the, when I when I started the show, I, 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 I kind of brought this up the the idea that we have to teach teachers on the fly how to remote teach, but when I started to think about that, I'm like, you know what? We don't even need to teach the teachers. We need to teach the teachers to teach the parents how to, uh, you know, homeschool essentially. Is that is was that kind of your thinking too? You know what? We need to be talking more to the parents here and what they need to do as opposed to going to the kids, because obviously uh, the, the parents are, are having that face-to-face contact.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really strong point, Rick. You know, I think our, you know, our parents are, are sometimes frustrated because there are things that they don't, there's a new math out there and, you know, we all try to solve the math problems the way we learn them in school and it's not always the way we're doing it these days. And I think our parents sometimes will get frustrated. Our parents will sometimes, uh, uh bring a new level of appreciation for what happens in the classroom, uh, and for their, for their children. But really what is happening is a, is a genuine partnership, a triad partnership between teacher and student and parent. Uh, And one of the things that really concerns me, uh, uh, this is why I think that the face-to-face is so important, I do think moving forward uh, that there's always going to be some degree of remote learning that's going to be going on, and we are talking about how do we just make sure that this is part of what we do always, because there are going to be parents who are going to maybe in the fall not be uh, so excited about sending their children back into school and face-to-face. Uh, especially if there aren't more answers uh, to some of the issues with the pandemic at this point. And so I think we have to be ready to be able to do uh, both of these pieces and make it part of our school district of choice envelope. And so we have to move from a system that right now is uh, just you know filling the gap and making sure that we are connected to uh, students and also to parents and working on that relationship. Uh, but we also have to be ready to make sure that uh, we can do this again in the fall or at any other time if it becomes necessary to shut down our schools. And I think one of the things that 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 has been interesting to kind of watch is just, you know, what we really see is uh, uh, in some of our students, uh, just their capacity to be supported at home uh, really shines at this particular point. You know, in some cases we have parents who are really, they're they're working really hard. Um, And so they are, they've got jobs themselves, and perhaps we've got uh, two or three school-age or elementary students who are being uh, babysat every day by their middle school brother or sister. And their middle school brother or sister also has work to do. Uh, We have some uh, children living in some pretty crisis situations in our community. And so uh, the last thing that maybe that family or those students are really thinking about is school schoolwork I need to do today when they're kind of in survival mode. And I think that more than anything else, uh, this is something that has really uh, surfaced uh, even stronger in my mind and based on, you know, some of the things and some of the challenges that we're seeing with our students and their home situations.
0: Randy Nelson, lacrosse school superintendent. Okay. Randy. So I know uh, we we've put school into this remote learning for what, two months or so. And, and kids are, we can, we can get into the whole graduation and what you're going to do there in a minute. But I know sure. my friend teaches at Northside elementary and they're in that like block system where they're, you know, I, for better I, I don't know exactly, but they're kind of like a couple of weeks on, two weeks off, something like that. is is that that school the most affected by this? because they might be in session again in the summer where they're actually not going to be in session. So I don't know how how challenging is that 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 block system right now in schools?
2: Yeah, you know that's that's a that's a great question. And we uh, that's a, that's our own calendar. Uh, and so they go to the school the same number of days. It's just uh, scheduled differently in the calendar. So they start in the middle of July and then they will go nine weeks, and then they have a two- or three-week intercession. And in that two- or three-week intercession, that really counts as summer school for them. And so we, in that time, we are still supporting students and parents uh, and, you know, helping them, especially those who might find themselves, uh, you know, working a little bit behind the eight ball. We work with our partners at the Y and the Boys and Girls Club to help uh, support those students. And so just this morning, we, I would say we were in a the two- or three-hour uh, virtual leadership team meeting and just talking about, Okay, what does July look like? We kind of know what June looks like, and we, we're kind of you know we 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 got some pretty good pictures of what can happen and can't happen in June, but July is still wide open, and that means that at this particular point, while I'm sitting here, we are planning to bring students back uh, middle of July. Uh, do I doubt that's going to happen? Yeah, I kind of do I kind of do, but I, I we have to plan as though uh, that is going to be necessary uh, that being the case uh, we Uh, we're first looking at our two year-round calendar schools at Hamilton and Northside. uh, And it's very possible that we may need to move those back to the traditional calendar. And we're also holding out possibility that even in September, if we get back into the traditional calendar, that uh, we we could be in the same position that we are right now, or we could be trying to do a school where we have have less than 10 students congregating at any time. And so our principals have started to map out classrooms they've started to map out schedules in their schools to determine if there is a way that we can reschedule ourselves next year maybe the students go half days or they go every other day or every third day uh, so that we can only have uh, nine or ten twelve students in a classroom maybe and and we can minimize the amount of uh, contact and we can you know set the desks six or eight feet apart if we can't find a way to do that we may uh, in most schools, I think, may be in the same situation where remote learning is what we have to continue.
0: I think maybe you put all the students in little hamster balls, Randy. And just, it goes <laughs> um, that way sometimes. Two things I took from that. Virtual meetings just sounds awful. Are you even wearing pants in those meetings, or are you just, you know, suit up top, shorts on the bottom?
2: Uh, fully fully clothed.
0: What I should say is you got the dress clothes up top and then maybe some basketball shorts on below, you know. <laughs>
2: No, I'm, I'm actually, it's, it's it's a lot more business casual. And depending on the uh, meeting and, you know, we are interviewing for principals. So uh, for the first time in my career, we have done uh, principal interviews that have uh, not been face-to-face at all. All of them have been virtual. And we've had 30 or 40, 50 people um, on at a time helping us go through interviews and then, uh, you know, getting uh, feedback from people at the end of the interview. So uh, a lot of things have just changed on its head, and so as necessary, um, I, I dress for the occasion. Otherwise, for the most part, I've been working out of uh, out of my office uh, that I have here at home. Uh, I usually get into the office maybe two or three days per week just for a little while to check in and check some snail mail that comes in there and check in with a few people who are there.
0: Did you say you were doing principal interviews and there's 50 other people in the Zoom meeting? That's a lot of pressure on the one guy interviewing, or one lady. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. As I can tell you, that's just in the last couple of weeks, as we've been doing principal interviews, we've had, uh, I, I think we've had a time where we've had 40 people, including parents, including teachers, including administrators, and uh, all of them, uh, you know, asking when that. Actually, we had just one person moderate and ask the questions and everyone, you know, everyone listening, uh, you know, along the way. So, yeah, it can be kind of daunting. It's so different from having people in the room because in the traditional sense, you know, we're trying to sell people in the School District of Lacrosse just like, uh, you know, they're trying to sell themselves. And so when, when you can't have the face-to-face contact uh, in the same room and you can't read the body language uh, all the time, you know, you're really just going on answers and you're really your reference checks uh, just really mean a lot more in this is to make sure that, you know, you're, you're, you're checking in to make sure that you're getting, a, you know, a, a candidate who's, who's
0: outstanding. Uh, last question. We we definitely didn't have enough time with you, Randy. But last question: how how much has, have things changed? You know, aside from the pandemic. If you can throw out the pandemic, how much have things changed for, in the school system from when you started a decade ago? you know, as a superintendent or even back when you started to now and just, I don't know, is there, are there, are there really big changes? I want to, I don't want to get into the school lunch debt, but I don't know if that was a huge problem back when you started. And maybe you didn't even know about it because you weren't in the upper administration, but, or other things, are there other things that just, you know, we didn't have to worry about this 10, 15 years ago. And now it's one of the, the you know, one of the biggest issues
2: yeah you know I, I think that are that the biggest issue, Rick, well, well what you're describing certainly are issues that have been there. Uh, yes, we have uh, we have lunch debt, and right now we're holding back uh, on on working on collection because we're just not hundred percent certain, given the circumstances who can and who cannot pay at this particular point. That being said, uh, we might have uh, twenty thirty thousand dollars in debt from this last year, and what's been very common for us the last few years is that organizations uh, nonprofits, uh, people have donated uh, to you know to help uh, to help close those accounts and help uh, help uh, get that, that that ship righted. So that that part has been okay. I think that the biggest thing that I see that has changed is is uh, this is probably not at all what you're thinking about. Is uh, is just the the attention spans of kids. Uh, the behaviors that we're seeing in kids. And I think part of that is connected to attention spans. And I think part of that is uh, connected, boy, to, to video and gaming. And you know, I think that we're, we're, we're working with a generation of uh, young children these days that, that don't have the patience that you and I had and also don't have the patience that we were sometimes required to have. And so things have to move so quickly for them uh and so uh, even as we you know as, even as we look in our school district we are a uh 1 to 1 school district where every one of our high school students uh works with a laptop we collect those at the end of the year and our 4th through 8th graders uh work on iPads you know we we are we're working to provide the homework in uh, in a way that is similar to what they're similar to what they're used to but what we see happening at the same time of course is just uh how um how attached uh, our students get uh, and how much screen time. And so an assumption that we sometimes make is that after homework is done on those devices, which, by the way, save a, actually save a lot of money uh, with regard to textbooks and things that we no longer need in that regard, but um, that, that, that uh, the parents are actually uh, involved in their children enough to say that's enough screen time today. That's enough of this today. That's enough. Let's put that away and let's go outside. Let's play. Uh, and so I, I, I actually worry about that moving forward, that we're going to get so tucked into the technology uh, that uh, maybe the old school guy in me is just, uh, this is why I need to retire. Uh, kids need to play. Not Kids need to get outside and play. And I am not worried about a kindergartner, first or second grader, that sometimes uh, struggles. I want them to play. Uh, when we stop having kids play, we lose a lot of creativity um, in people and in, and in children. So that that's, that's my biggest change, and it also kind of, kind of relays into that some of the concerns and fears that i have moving forward
0: all right lacrosse school superintendent randy nelson when is your last day well, technically,
2: my last day is June 30th. I have a few vacation days to take yet. I haven't put them on the calendar because it's been so busy. But June 30th, uh, definitely, will be my last day, the very latest day that I'd still be in the okay.
0: office. Okay. So, so it's relevant if I steal you again for a show where we can t- keep talking. Because I have so many questions. And I think if I would have let you keep talking about the biggest issues, you would have proposed bringing back the ruler to hit kids' So that they pay attention, but I, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, like, it, w- w- would it be cool if you stop back in in a, in a couple of weeks and and we can just go over some more stuff?
2: Sure, we can do that again, Rick. I'd be
0: happy to. All right, thanks a lot, uh, School Superintendent Randy Nelson for joining us. Thanks. All right, so we're gonna go to Scott's comment, then the news, and then we're gonna bring we're gonna we're gonna change gears totally. Change gears. We're gonna bring on Reed Gallen with the Lincoln Project, and and we're gonna talk about uh republican party some republicans that have kind of become anti-trumpers I, I, I don't know if he's still a republican i think he left the party but we'll we'll get some more clarification on that here's scott's comment in the news coming up on wisdom all right welcome back to lacrosse talk p.m 608-785-7914 if you want to text me feel free to do that read galen uh, independent political strategist. That's what I'm seeing here. Uh, you work for the Lincoln Project. I don't know. Are you the? Uh, you're not the czar of the Lincoln Project, are you, Reed?
3: No, we're we're very egalitarian. We don't have any czar.
0: <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Now I played your commercial. It's called "Morning in America." It's coming. Uh, it's going to be played uh, on cable TV. I was kind of making fun. Nobody watches cable TV. Nobody watches TV in a traditional way. Reid, are, are we going to be able to see this in other ways? Maybe, maybe get it on the radio.
3: Uh, sure. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, thanks to uh, President Trump, uh, last week I think over 20 million people have already seen it, uh, both on Twitter and YouTube and on our website. So yeah, it's uh, it's out there for everybody to look at it, uh, at U.S. and at our our Twitter uh, feed at, at Project Lincoln. So yeah, it's it's gotten a lot of uh, free media. Uh, the president saw it last last week uh, while he was watching Tucker Carlson and uh, did not take kindly to it.
0: Uh, it'll be $40 million after this show, just so you know, let's kind of reach out. Oh, here.
3: absolutely. That's why I'm here.
0: <laughs> All right. So you guys, the Lincoln Project, can you just, can you kind of just describe it and, you know, like right away people are going to hear, you know, anti-Trump, but you guys aren't, you know, like me, I'm, I'm more so a Democrat, if anything. So you, you, you're probably not even in the same boat as me, but can you can kind of describe yourself and the Lincoln Project a little bit?
3: Sure. So, um, look, I grew up uh, as a Republican. I grew up in Republican politics. My dad worked on Capitol Hill and on more Republican campaigns uh, than I can remember when I was a kid. And I did as well. You know, I did. I went to my first I worked at my first Republican National Convention uh, when I was 16 in Houston in 1992. I I was the driver of uh, then Mrs. Barbara Bush's chief of staff for two weeks Uh, And, and, uh, you know, so and worked for President George W. Bush, Senator McCain, Governor Schwarzenegger. And and come uh, the summer of 2016, four years ago, uh, when then uh, candidate Trump became nominee Trump, uh, that was that was the breaking point for me with the party. Uh, You know, I was a a pretty traditional Republican. The president called me a rhino. I think that that's probably pretty accurate. Uh, And so I've been an independent for four years. And uh, we have a group of, you know, longtime Republican activists. Consultants, uh, leaders who have decided that you know, for the good of the country, you know, we're going to put our party label aside, we're going to put, you know, policy aside, and we're going to, uh, you know, devote our time and energy to making sure that Donald Trump is a one-term president.
0: Three months ago, let's say three, four months ago, what would you have said was the biggest thing that Trump was doing that you you guys had a problem with before the whole pandemic? Is essentially what I'm getting at.
3: Uh, Well, look, I mean, I think from our perspective, you know, we were, you know, we're probably, you know, again, small C conservatives and small L liberals. And so from our perspective, there was probably and we're all students of history. I know that a bunch of us, myself included, had the, you know, the honor and privilege to work at the White House. So there's a a reverence that comes from the office as well, Uh, you know, especially on the Republican side. Look, you start with Abraham Lincoln, our namesake. And so a lot of us, you know, there were there's there were some, uh, you know, temperamental issues. Um, You know, the the, you know, right at the start uh, when we launched back in late December, uh, you know, the the he'd already been impeached. The impeachment trial was pending. uh, And, you know, what we saw was that a lot of the uh, Republican senators who are now in a lot of trouble uh, politically, uh, you know, had abdicated their constitutional oaths and their Article one responsibilities by basically giving Trump a free pass on all his bad behavior last summer vis-a-vis Ukraine. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of things that he had done from a policy perspective, whether or not that was, uh, you know, bailing out big ag, you know, the, the tax cut that was not only unpaid for, but went to, you know, vastly went to the, you know, the 1%, as it were, uh, moving, you know, uh, military funding from, you know, war fighters and bases and, you know, programs to a wall that still hasn't been built. So from our perspective, there was already plenty from, a po- you know, a policy standpoint. Uh, to to really you know call into question, but now obviously with COVID, that's a that's a whole different ballgame.
0: Yeah, and I feel like the the, the COVID nineteen pandemic, as as bungled as that has been, there's there's stuff going on underneath. That, that that seem to be slipping by the, the maybe not the maybe not all the media but like a lot of that isn't getting the attention it should is is that kind of the strategy too to to bungle COVID nineteen so much so that like we can do all this other stuff like I, I'm I'm pointing at like Michael Flynn and and stuff like that.
3: Well, so here's how I see you know the the Michael Flynn stuff and uh, the stuff with all this stuff with the National Security Agency and, and any of the rest of it, which is. You know, the, the president uh, was going to run on a very strong economy, right? Generally speaking, peace, uh, you know, peace and prosperity, right? What every incumbent president wants to run on. Um, and that's all disappeared over the last 12 to 16 weeks. Uh, and so now he's left with very little to, to run on. And so what you see is, is what, what he's often done, which is when he's backed into a corner, his least favorite thing, He starts to just throw up bright, shiny objects and get people to chase them. And and we're pretty disciplined on that. We know, look, um, you know, they can say whatever they want about Michael Flynn. Uh, The judge says, I'm going to take my time deciding whether or not I'm going to go along with this. Uh, All this NSA stuff, like a friend, I don't understand it. Uh, My guess is um, most voters don't understand it. It doesn't affect their daily lives. And so I think that, you know, and and I think it also points out a, a pretty glaring thing, which is the Republican Party of you know, of, and Obamagate is another one, right? So what they're doing is just throwing everything they can at the wall to see what's going to stick to do two things. One, get the media to chase stuff, and two, uh, fire up Trump's base, which is left with very little, if anything, to really go on other than, uh, you know, the president keeping them angry.
0: Yeah, I think maybe I maybe I even said that backwards. I, maybe maybe we're trying to get the media to chase those stories While this whole pandemic is, is, you know, a little bit of a disaster. Um, We can reel it in a little bit here. In Wisconsin, we had an election um, in a a, kind of in the Stevens Point, Wausau area. Tom Tiffany won that election just last night uh, over a now I forget Zunker, a, a Wausau school board member and a Native American. And he won pretty, pretty. Pretty good, I think fifty nine to forty three. I think fifty nine percent to forty three percent. That's a that's a pretty good number to to win by in, in any election. But you guys are saying that that number is, is is maybe a little bit troubling for Republicans.
3: Well, I think. Well, I would say this. I don't. I, I can't. I, I don't want to speak for Republican candidates more generally. I think the issue when it comes to President Trump specifically in a state like Wisconsin or Michigan or Pennsylvania is that he has literally no margin for error when it comes to his reelection chances. And so anytime you see a diminution in Republican, uh, you know, margins of victory, um, you have to wonder, you know, what was the cause of that? Now, I'm always a little bit hesitant to, you know, take into account, um, you know, special elections or you know, or, you know, further down the ballot elections in this because people try and make more of it than, than there is. Uh, But I think that you know, for the president's campaign and the president himself, anything that shows that in a target state, look, he can't win without Wisconsin. Right? It's not going to happen. If he loses Wisconsin, he's lost Michigan. He's probably lost Pennsylvania. He's probably lost North Carolina. He's lost Arizona. At that point, you know, he's gonna he's gonna lose you know 38 states or whatever it is. Um, And so I think what what the his campaign probably has to be looking at is you know where were these voters? Did they stay home? Did they go to the Democrat? Um, you know, the Republican won. that's great, but you know are there are there larger pieces of play? I think it's probably hard to tell from one thing., uh, but again, if I were sitting in his campaign office, uh, which I would liken probably to that that runaway train and the fugitive, right, where Harrison Ford jumps off of it on any given day, uh you know, they have to be worried about what everything looks like.
0: We're speaking with Reed, Reed Galen uh, with the Lincoln Project, Reed, I think you got to update your movies. We can't be using Harrison Ford anymore. He died oh, in on Star on Wars. He died in Star Wars. We're done. No, I'm just kidding. Um, the uh, uh, you throw me off. Do you have any good stories in, in that you worked with the Bush, McCain, and, and Schwarzenegger? Do you have any good like stories from working with any of those guys?
3: Uh, you know, look. I think that you know, I was uh, when I worked for President Bush, I was what was called an advance man, um, which is uh, a group of people who go out uh, ahead of time by the president, uh, usually about a week. Domestically in two weeks, overseas, and you know I got to I was on the road forty nine weeks in two thousand two, and I got to travel the country and I got to travel the world uh, from the front of a motorcade, um, you know, and and I will tell you that there is there is no more exhilarating feeling than you know seeing Air Force One land uh, on the tarmac and, and everybody rushing to get in and the and the you know the motorcade speeding off and just the excitement uh, that people get uh, that they feel you know and, and this is a long time ago obviously. Uh, But when they see, you know, they see that big limousine come rolling down the street, um, you know, it was always a very exciting thing. I I was in my early 20s when I got a chance to do that. I'm glad I did it then uh, because I certainly couldn't do it now. Uh, But I'll tell you that it's, you know, the the presidency is one, is a thing that not only in this country but across the world has always been, you know, such an office that that so many people have held in high regard. And, And I think that, you know, a lot of us on the Lincoln Project wouldn't be doing what we're doing. If we did not hold it in that same standing, you know, we think about former Republican presidents, whether or not it was Lincoln, the first Republican president, or uh, Ulysses Grant, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt and and Dwight Eisenhower and Ronald Reagan and and, and both Bush, 41 and 43, uh, who, you know, not only had a reverence for America, but had a reverence for the office. And from my perspective, I think that that's that's we're so far removed from that, both as far as, uh, you know, respect for the Oval Office and the White House um, and standing behind that podium with the seal on it, um, but also what it means to be, you know, what it used to mean to be a leader of the free world. And I think we're a long way from that. And it's more than just politics and more than just history. I think we're seeing right now that, you know, politics does have life and death consequences.
0: All right. Speaking with Brie Galen of the Lincoln Project. Uh, lastly, just the the whole COVID, If you, you know, we don't have a ton of time here, but the, the COVID-19 mm-hmm. pandemic, what what would you say the, the, the worst thing, That the administration has done so far to to maybe you know keep this going or growing, I I guess.
3: So I think that you know the the thing about the the, you know if if for the president the first thing you know for any government is to protect its citizens, right? If it cannot and will not or you know won't protect its citizens, uh, then it, it starts to lose legitimacy in a big hurry. And so I think what's what's most concerning and frustrating and and scary to us is that you know Trump was Trump was a choice for whom many made because they could not vote for Hillary Clinton because she you know built up this mythological status over 25 years. Um but and so they took a flyer on Donald Trump. And while you know the, the stock market is roaring and unemployment at three percent and, and you're generally at peace, you know, his antics are upsetting and disturbing but not uh you know not costing people lives and people jobs. And now what we've seen is that, you know, he refused and still refuses to listen to experts. He's always got to be the smartest guy in the room. And what, what we see now is that the, gov- the federal government, look, I worked at FEMA many, many years ago. The federal government is the only organization that has the ability and the resources and the wherewithal to coordinate these responses if allowed to do it. And so I think what we've seen is that uh, things have been halting. We still live in the, within this real, reality distortion field where the president, you know, changes numbers, he moves the goalposts, you know, as, you know just to come back to where we started. You know, we're talking about Michael Flynn and Obamagate and all this other stuff, and 2,000 Americans are losing their lives every day. You know, another however many million people are going to lose their jobs this week. And so I think what we see is that um, the, the presidency is not just, you know, uh, a job that you get to fly on a pretty airplane. It is also the administrator-in-chief, the executive-in-chief, the manager-in-chief, and the national conciliator. And I think that we've seen that COVID has laid all those bare that, you know, this president anyway uh, is not up to the job. And, and come November 3rd, my
0: guess is a lot of Americans are going to agree. All right. That's all the time I got, Reed. Thanks a lot for joining us.
3: No, thank you. Thanks for having
0: me. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, that's Reed Galen, The Lincoln Project. They're a group of anti-Trump Republicans focused on getting rid of Trump and Trumpism, if you couldn't tell. And they've got a an ad that you might see on TV called Morning in America. I played it earlier on the show, but if you want to watch it, just, you know, YouTube, Twitter, you'll find it. Trump shared it at one point. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll wrap up after this on Wisdom. All right, that's going to wrap up the show today. Thanks, Randy Nelson, for joining us. Definitely didn't have enough time. I think I could have talked to Randy the entire show, and probably some of you would have rather talked to Randy Nelson, I'm sure. And thanks to Reed Galen with the Lincoln Project for coming on tomorrow's show. Bill Soper, the YMCA CEO, is going to talk to us about their changes. They're announcing changes, and they're going to try to reopen June 1st. And also, Dr. Andrew Jagum with Mayo Clinic. He's going to come on and talk about sports science a little bit and just how you know I I don't even know if we're gonna get into the pandemic I have a lot of sports science questions from for him in in general but maybe we'll get into the pandemic too uh but those are the two guests I'm gonna have on tomorrow should be a fun show it's Bill I just I'm, I'm curious as how how we're gonna open stuff like the YMCA so it should be a really interesting conversation as Iowa is is doing this beginning Friday Iowa's opening up on on Friday, which seems a little bit crazy to me, but uh, maybe Bill Soper have the answers. All right. Thanks a lot for listening, guys. We'll see you again. We'll talk to you tomorrow.